Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. When Hudson Taylor was sailing to China to begin his missionary work there, the ship that he was on was in great danger. Uh, The wind had died, and the current was carrying him towards sunken reefs, which were close to an island inhabited, inhabited by cannibals. And they were so close that they could see them building fires on the shore. Everything they tried to do was to no avail. In his journal, Taylor recorded what happened next. The captain said to me, well, we have done everything that can be done. A thought occurred to me and I replied, no, there is still one thing we have not done. What is that? He asked. Four of us on board are Christians. Let us retire to our own cabin and in agreed prayer, ask the Lord give us an immediate breeze. Taylor prayed briefly and then certain that the answer was coming, went up to the deck and asked the first officer to let down his sails and he said, "What good would that? What good of? Sorry. What would be the good of that?" Old English. He answered roughly. I told him that the wind from God was coming, and once they laid down the sails, immediately with or not, my goodness, let me start over. Within minutes, the wind began to blow, and it carried them safely past the reefs. Taylor wrote. Thus God encouraged me before landing on China's shore to bring every variety of need to him in prayer. And to that, he would, he would honor the name of the Lord Jesus and give help in each emergency required. We see Hudson Taylor praying for something to happen and then acting expectantly, knowing that God would move in order to fulfill his promise to see through Taylor's calling to China. Hudson Taylor understood that he was called to missionary works in China, and he believed that this crash landing on the Cannibal Island was not his end because he understood the promises that God had for him. So let's read our text in Mark chapter 2, verse, starting at verse 1 says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Skipping down to verse 9, Jesus is saying, Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, and pick up your bed, and go home. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for meeting with us here tonight. God, I ask, Lord, that you would deliver the message that you have for your people tonight, that your Holy Spirit would take charge of this service, God, that it wouldn't be by my words or my talents, God, but by your Holy Spirit that this message is delivered, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So we see in our text an extreme situation of faith. A situation where these men are willing to go through whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. A faith that for the sake of the title of my sermon, I will call radical faith. And the sermon of my title tonight is Radical Faith in Our Radical God. So first I want to talk about the issue of having no faith or a lack of faith. And a lack of faith will lead to us ultimately losing out on God's promises for us. We see this happen in Numbers chapters 13 through 14 um, of the 12, 12 spies going to scout the promised land. Man, guys, pray for me. I'm having a hard time talking tonight. Numbers 12, or I'm sorry, 13, 1 through 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So 12 spies go into the land to scout out what, you know, the land that God just said that, that I'm going to give you. And uh, so he sends the 12 men out and they find just amazing land. You know, this says milk and honey and huge grapes. One translation even says there was a six flags. They're excited. This place is awesome. That's not true, by the way. However, they also saw that the people who lived in this land were big, big bad dudes, scary. And so this made them a little bit weary. So when they returned, Joshua and Caleb, you know, they're excited. They understand God promised us this land. Nothing will stop us. And they say, look at all this great stuff. Yeah, there's big dudes there, but we can take them. However, the other ten spies that Moses sent had a very different story. They, they talked down about the whole thing. They said, we can't take it. It's not worth it. You know, they basically turned all of Israel against Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And Israel gr uh, grumbled against them and God. And this is what they said in Numbers 14, 1 through 3. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? In Numbers 13, the scripture that we just read, God says to his people, I'm giving you this land. But they lacked the faith to claim this promise from God. And because of their lack of faith, they missed out entirely on God's promise. You see, they didn't want to take the radical steps of faith to face literal giants in an upward battle, even though God had already promised them victory. And God shows them their consequences of their lack of faith. In Numbers 14, 28-25, God is telling Moses and Aaron what to say to them. And it says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your bodies will fall dead in the wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become prey, I will bring in. And they shall know the land that you have rejected. 
But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness. Until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness, according to the numbers of days which you spied out the land, forty days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity forty years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do all this, all do all this to the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In the wilderness they shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. You see, God wanted to give them the promised land. He told them, this is your land for the taking. But they grumbled and they complained, saying that they were going to die in this battle. They didn't have a chance. God led them all this way just to meet, just for them to meet their demise at the hands of these people. So basically, God said, okay, that's what you want. You want to come here and die in the wilderness, that's what you'll get. I promised you, but you didn't want it. So I'll give you what you want, what you're saying you're going to get. But God had mercy for their children, but the children still suffered. And, and if you're a parent in this place, of, of a child, think about this for a moment. Yes, the children of these people made it into the promised land, but for 40 years, because of their parents' faithlessness, they struggled in the desert year after year before they could finally see that promise come through. So for us as a parent, our faith, or lack of faith, affects our children. Yes, they will have their chance to come into God's promises and they will have their chance to respond to what God has for them because just like this congregation, their children eventually had to make that leap of faith to enter the promised land as well. And as you guys know the story, they did. But because of their parents' lack of faith, they found themselves wandering in the desert for something they didn't do. This is a great responsibility of parents to have the faith necessary, not just for yourself, but for your children, because they rely on you. So almost all of Israel lacked the faith necessary to claim God's promise and ultimately lost out on the promise altogether. They died in the wilderness and never saw the promised land. Next I want to talk about a superficial faith. So what is a superficial faith? Well, the word superficial can be defined as this, seen on the surface presenting only an appearance without substance or significance. So a superficial faith is a faith that doesn't really have any substance or depth, but only on the surface to give the appearance of genuine faith. So in other words, it's just for show. So what does a superficial faith look like? For us as Christians, churchgoers, regular people, it's not easy to see. And we might not always see it, and we might not always pick it out, but that's okay. It's not our job. John 2, verses 23 through 25 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, pe many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So those people showed that they believed him. They saw what he did and said, wow, that's cool. But Jesus knew that as time went on, this faith was only a surface faith. This was only superficial. It was only because they saw what happened. And it was not a faith that was going to last long enough. It was not a deep faith. So Jesus didn't entrust himself to them because he knew. He knew what was truly in their hearts. 
Yes, outwardly they expressed, wow, look at, the, look at what you've done. I believe that you are who you say you are. But he knew their hearts. And that's what this is saying. And we see this situation take place in Mark 11. This is the story where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry is what many, uh, many scriptures call it. He's riding on the colt. The crowds are shouting, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. They're praising him. They're laying down their clothes and the leaves before him as he comes into the town. But Jesus saw these people and he, he knew each and every single one of their faith. And I wonder, you know, you hear these stories about, uh, about these riots and these protests and all these things and you hear stories about people just kind of getting caught up in the crowd and they don't know what's going on but they just kind of join in because you know that's what people do they just go with the flow right i wonder how many of these people were just there because they saw a big crowd you know what's going on over there oh jesus is here they're like who's that <laughs> but these people are laying you know the people with the real faith probably ones laying down their clothes for jesus to walk on and then the other people are chopping down branches and throwing them down they're like why well, i'm throwing my jacket in there it's gucci you know, or whatever, you know, it's the only expensive brand I could think of. Yeezy Gap just came out. Let's go with that one. You know, so anyway, how many of these people really even understood who Jesus was? But Jesus saw these people, and he knew. He knew it was coming. He knew why he was coming to that town. He was coming to that town to be crucified. These people who were yelling, Hosanna today, in just a few short days would be yelling, crucify him. The same people who are praising him now are calling for his crucifixion in just a few short days. And Jesus knew that. He knew it was coming. So your text might call it a triumphal entry, but I don't think it felt that way to Jesus. So a superficial faith like these people here ultimately leaves us fruitless and dead. You see, the day after Jesus rides into Jerusalem, we see an interesting passage. And it's one that uh, many times when I was younger, I read it and I was like, I don't understand why Jesus did that. But as I got older and I studied the Bible more, you start to you know, learn things. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 14 says, On the following day, this was the day after he rides in Jerusalem, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So what is that all about? Was Jesus hangry? You know, oh, I was hungry and this thing didn't give me leaves, so I'm cursing it. You know, it's like when you pull up to McDonald's at midnight and they're closed because they closed at 11 and you're like, I thought there was a 24. And you're, okay, I hope they close. I hope they go out of business. You know what? Is that what he was doing here? No, obviously not. We know the nature of Jesus. That's not what he was doing here. So what, what did happen here? Well, the truth is, it's highly symbolic. Jesus isn't acting out of emotion or out of angry. A fig tree, if you remember from the sermon I preached a few weeks ago, is a symbol of peace and a symbol of Israel. So a fig tree, when it comes into season, will grow its leaves and its fruit at the same time. So if you see leaves on a fig tree, that means there's fruit on a fig tree. At least it should. In this passage, that's not the case. So when you see the appearance of leaves on the fig tree, there should be figs as well. This tree was all leaf and no figs. If our faith is only superficial 
and for show. Jesus will come close to us and he will see our show, but he'll see no fruit. If we are a fig tree, do we have leaves? You know, you guys are all here at church, so there's a couple more leaves. You brought your Bible with you, there's some leaves. You tithed, there's some leaves. You know, you, you, you read the daily scripture every day on your Bible app, there's some leaves. You know, what is it? All these things that give you leaves, all these things that give you a good appearance. And leaves are good, don't get me wrong. I'm glad you guys are all here with your leaves. But do we have fruit to go with it? That's the question. And if we are a tree with only leaves, then what good are we if we aren't producing any fruit for Jesus? If we're a tree with only leaves, then what good are we if we aren't producing any fruit within God's kingdom? So, if we need more than leaves, how do we produce fruit? Because we're all here. You know, we got our leaves, right? How do we produce more fruit? Mark 11, 20-24 says this, As they passed by in the morning, this is the next day, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So Jesus is telling you, you need more than leaves. You need more than just a show. And acting in faith produces a fruit that can move mountains. Acting in faith produces fruit. Which leads me to my third point, radical faith in our radical God. You see, in our main text, we see men acting radically. They know they just need to get their friend to Jesus. They had radical faith in a radical man named Jesus. As we all know, Jesus performed many miracles, and he did many of them in radical form. You see, our main text is at the very beginning of Mark chapter 2. But at the end of Mark chapter 1 is one of the more remarkable healings done by Jesus. It's found in Mark 1, verse 40 through 42. says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, leprosy is a disease that means almost nothing to the modern human today because there's a cure for it. But in Bible's time, there was no cure for it. It was deadly and it was extremely contagious. And we see a man just desperate looking for healing. And what does Jesus do? He touches him. This is a very contagious disease. The way they handle lepers is they kick them out of the city and they say, okay, go die in the wilderness. Because we don't, we don't want you in here. We don't want you infecting people. We don't need this to spread. And Jesus, you know, if somebody with an infectious disease says, hey, pray for me. I'm like, okay, you go over there. I'll be over here. I'll pray for you. <laughs> you know, that's a very, and Jesus could have done that. We know that. Jesus healed people from a distance. You read the Gospels and it happens. 
But Jesus makes a point here. He makes a very radical point here. He physically lays hands on this man when he didn't have to. But he did. To heal him. And then skipping down to verse 45. Speaking of the leper says, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. So Jesus could no longer openly enter the town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this got so much of a rise out of the city that he couldn't enter the town without craziness, basically. And in our, in our main text, we see Jesus entering a house, and it's crazy, right? It's packed. I can't help but wonder if the friends of that paralytic man encountered this leper. They encountered this cleansed leper, and that's what sparked their radical faith. They said, wow, look what happened. We've got to get our friend to see Jesus. It's only speculation, so don't, you know, don't write that down. But, you know, it's, it's something to think about. That is the story right before it. You see, it's not our pretty leaves that will bring people to Jesus. It's our fruit produced from our genuine faith. It's our fruit that people will see, and they'll go, Something's going on there. Because a lot of people go to church. A lot of people tithe. A lot of people read the daily verse on the Bible app. But at the end of the day, it's all leaves. At the end of the day, are they producing fruit for the kingdom? It's the fruit from our faith that people will see and they'll realize that's not just a show. There's something there. We have to have our own radical faith. We see Jesus do many miracles, and he calls us to have faith in him and his ability to carry them out. That's the beginning of faith. We, re we read two of them already, Jesus healing the paralytic man and the leper. And Jesus performed countless miracles and healings throughout all four Gospels. The book of John tells us that you couldn't fit all the miracles that, God, that Jesus did in, in one book. You can't do it, but these are some of them. See, faith is believing that these stories are true. And then Jesus says in John 14, 12 through 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And, the greater, and, and greater than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Faith is believing these stories are true. Radical faith is hearing Jesus say this and believing it's true and acting on it. You see, we, we look at all that Jesus did and then he tells us, you guys are going to do that too. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, we see this take place throughout the rest of the New Testament. Lots of crazy things happen after Jesus left. Miracles very similar to what Jesus did. Acting in faith. Acting in radical faith. That is radical faith. Do we have faith that we can do these things through Jesus to glorify God? You see, this is a promise from Jesus. He says, you guys will go on and do these things. You guys can do these things. This is a promise that he will use us to glorify God through the same works that he did. Are you going to grab hold of this radical faith and move on it? 
Or are we going to doubt like Israel in the desert and miss out on God's promises for our lives? And miss out on all the things that God could do in our lives? Because we're not willing to step out in radical faith and see what God does. Can I have every head bowed and every eyes closed? You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.